<laughs> Growing in humility. Did you write a book called Humility and How I Achieved It? Is that one of the... No, I'm still working on it. <laughs> Got to beat this short-term memory stuff first. <laughs> um, I don't know how to answer that sort of question. People ask it. <clears throat> I, the, the best answer I can give, I think, is um, to tell a story of Carl F.H. Uh, Henry. Um, some of you will know that Carl Henry and Kenneth Conser were two leaders in North American evangelicalism who were among the, the movers and shakers of uh, crucial movements in, in, in the 20th century. And um, he was the leading... Uh, he was the founding editor of Christianity Today when Christianity Today was really very centrist and confessional and so on. So he had, he had huge influence and uh, he was the one who dreamed up and organized the Berlin Council on World Mission and so on that was extremely uh, useful and, and farsighted and so on at the time. Anyway, for a, a long period of time he, uh, he taught part-time in his retirement at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. and. Uh, he left his papers with us. There was a whole wing of the library that was built in his wow. name, the Carl F. H. Henry Resource Center. And one of our students picked him up at the airport one, one time to bring him onto the campus. And the student said to him, Dr. Henry, what does it feel like to have a building named after you? <laughs> Carl said, feels like I should be dead. <laughs> And then, and then when he was oh, about 86, he and Dr. Conser were asked to give a couple of public lectures to our hundreds and hundreds of students um, about their perceptions of how the gospel had progressed and so on in, in the last uh, 50 or 60 years when they had been such key players. And then the next day, again before the same students, I was interviewing them. You can get all this stuff online. It's... it's Belong. This is going in and out. I suspect a battery's dying here in case somebody wants to come and change it. Um, <clears throat> so um, uh, the next day I interviewed them and I didn't tell them in advance what the questions were going to be that I was going to ask them. So I asked them their opinion of this and what they thought about that and what they'd learned from life and all those sorts of very predictable things you ask somebody who's 84. <laughs> and, um, and then finally I, I, I asked them basically the same question that you've just asked me. I, I said... Uh, I said, uh, when some men get old, they get crotchety, miserable. They start tearing down what they built up. They become jealous of younger men. Um, they're self-defensive. They, they really are miserable old beasts. But you two have become sweeter with old age. You're looking to the future all the time. You're encouraging younger men that come along. How have you managed that? Don't just tell me it's the grace of God. I know it's the grace of God. But, but, but how has the grace of God worked out in your life so that this is where you've ended up? And uh, they sputtered around a bit and didn't know what to say. And then finally Carl said, and it's the best minute on the entire set of tapes. Carl said, how can anybody be arrogant when he stands beside the cross? And that's enough of an answer. And you look at the cross. Yeah. How are we anything apart from him? That's helpful. Thanks, Dr. Carson. So pride... <clears throat> Another way to fight pride may be to take part in a spiritual discipline that I think is often lost in the Christian faith. You know, we talk about prayer, we talk about uh, scripture reading, 
Maybe we even talk about fasting some or serving. But I think one spiritual discipline that's sometimes lost is scripture memory. Uh, what have you learned in, in memorizing scripture? And can you speak to the importance of memorizing scripture in the Christian life? Yes, although even there, you can turn any spiritual discipline into a cause for pride. I know somebody who shall remain nameless, who sends out a, a, a mission prayer letter every, every once in a while. He must have a formidable memory. He's always saying in his prayer letter what book of the Bible he's memorizing next, and whether it's in English or Spanish. Well, I'm really impressed, but my trouble is I'm sufficiently sinful to suspect that he wants me to be impressed. Um, I, I, th I think some scripture memory ought to be done the way prayer should be done. An awful lot of it needs to be done in a closet where you're not talking about it too. Um, I've memorized more Bible than you have. <laughs> Boy, that'll make me holier too and humbler. <laughs> so, I mean, we can turn anything into a cause for arrogance. We're so perverse. You, you, you know what I mean? Ha having said that, um, when, when Scripture says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, to hide in your heart does not mean you think about it a lot. It means to memorize it. That's, that's what it means in Hebrew. And so, so if you're going to memorize, if you're going to men, me, meditate on the word of God day and night, the only way you can meditate on it day and night is if you memorize quite a lot of it in the first place, so you've got something to meditate on. And um, so some of that comes by reading and rereading and rereading and rereading. And sometimes I have set myself to memorize a chunk so that in, in devotions I've decided, okay, for the next few weeks I'm going to work on memorizing that. Um, I've seen some do some remarkable things with memory work. Some, some are more gifted in memory work than others, too. And I'm okay, but I'm not really good at it. Um, did, 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 uh, did some of you see uh, David Platt's address at the Cross Conference? I've seen a few others do the same sort of thing. Uh, basically, what he said was, uh, this is a missions conference, and there's some sense in which Paul's letter to the Romans is a mission prayer letter. You know, he's writing ahead, wanting to get some support before he goes on to Spain. So what does he tell them when, when he writes? He, in part, what, what he does is lays out the gospel that he, he believes. This is what he says. And without taking his eyes off the crowd of 4,000 young people, he recited Romans 1 to 8. It's pretty incredible. And... and, and um, and, and at points, you know, where you get to, there is therefore now no condemnation when in Christ Jesus. Then you get 4,000 people jumping to their feet and clapping their hands. I mean, it's, it's, um, there's power in the word of God. I've, I've seen Moises Silver do that in a chapel at, at, at Westminster Seminary, recite, hear the word of the Lord, he says, and then quotes Philippians. So uh, there is a place for doing something like that, too, once in a while, or reading scripture coherently, carefully, in large chunks before the people of God so that they can see the flow. Let, let scripture itself speak, you know? Now, there's a danger with all of that because that could be a kind of showing off too. It's a, it can look like a party trick. That's the danger of it. You can turn anything that's good into something bad with a little bit of perversity. And, um, and I've got my share of perversity, so. But, 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 but yeah, to hide God's word in your heart is, um, is, is part of the discipline of uh, taking God's word seriously. Let me ask you some questions about books. If you had a friend who knew, uh, who you knew were, were going to be stuck on a desert island for the rest of their life, in addition to the Bible, what would be three books you'd make sure they had with them? 
I hate those questions. <laughs> because you see, usually I can think I can think more easily of fifty books than three. You know. How much time? How much time yeah. do we have? And part of it is because which books I would recommend would depend a bit on who they were. I mean, supposing he's a really, really close friend. Um, a really, really close friend and a devout uh, Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or something like that. That might be different from somebody who's been a Christian for 50 years and, and knows the biblical languages and, and is, is, is thinking about coming, writing a commentary on 2 Corinthians or something, you, you, you know? Then, then what I might recommend would be a bit different. So, so I... I there, let me ask, let me, let me put it this way. Is there maybe two or three books that, in terms of quantity, you've passed out to Christians? to be encouraged in their faith? Maybe books that you point people? Yeah, but which books I pass out really depends on who they are, too. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really not trying to you're, be perverse. You're, you're, I mean, one of the first books I passed to the woman who would become my wife, this is before she was yeah. a Christian, I was doing personal evangelism, you know? <laughs> was John Stott's basic Christianity, do you, do you, do you see? But that, that's not one that I'd pass out to everybody. Um, a book that I've recommended to many, many young Christians that ought to be on everyone's shelf um, is, is, is Packer's Knowing God. You, you look around and you ask, what books that we read today will still be around in 150 years? That's one of them. They're not a lot, but that's one of them. And, and so that one has potential to be coming a classic like Pilgrim's Progress and be around for a long time. But on the other hand, if this dude who's going out to a desert island has already got that one, what do I want to recommend it for? Well, I know you can answer this next one. <laughs> is there a book that most of us have not heard of that you would say is a hidden gem in the history of Christian literature, whether modern or long ago? Hidden gem. Does he actually think I'm going to give a better answer if he waves his hand in the air? Apparently not. <laughs> well, let, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. The kind of answer I give to that um, would probably change over the decades of my life. In, in other words, I, I tend to be reading something I think, man, that's something that everybody should read. And then 10 years later, I'm, I haven't read it for a long while don't think much of it at the moment. I'm think, thinking of that about something else, you, you know? Um, or if you ask me the question, what book most significantly changed your life apart from the Bible? Boy, that's a hard one to answer too because it depends on... <laughs> one, one of the first theological books that... Yeah. One, one of the f first theological books that I read that really did have the effect.